Wow. How many of you are excited to be in church this morning? Oh, yeah. Isn't it a great place to be? We had a fantastic time with our first service, and uh, so I'm looking forward to preaching the Word of God to you this morning. Are you excited to hear the Word of God? All right. Okay. Now listen, listen real carefully to this, because this one will pay, okay? Show me your smile. Everyone smile. All right. Now there's one thing I want you to do. I want you to turn to the next person next to the person next to you. I want you to give them a big smile and say, my word, you look good looking this morning. <laughs> now, if you did a good job of that, you may have even got an invite to lunch, <laughs> which is especially good if you're married to that person. And uh, if, they're, if they're married to someone else, then you better find something else to do, eh? All right. <laughs> okay. Have you ever heard the expression, I'm at the end of my rope? Yeah? Or I'm at the end of my tether. Have you heard that expression? It's a picture of a grazing animal that's been tied up to a stake and uh, they've eaten all the food around them and now they can't quite reach what they need to get. They can't quite get at the food. It's just out of reach, and they're tired, and they start to get unhappy. And uh, so we use this expression. We say that, I'm at the end of my rope, when we say we're close to snapping, when we're at the limit, at the limit of our resources and endurance. For example, how many husbands have come home from a, from a hard day at work, and they've heard their wife say, I am at the end of my rope. I've had it with these three screaming kids. Yeah, all right. How many husbands have heard that? Uh, yeah, so the others who are too scared to put their hands up. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, I'm at the end of my rope at work. It doesn't seem to matter how hard I work or how hard I try. The boss is never happy. It means to be so tired, so worried, so frustrated or annoyed by something that you feel unable to deal with it anymore. I'm at the end of my rope. I just can't go on this way. This teenager is driving me up the wall. And I know it's none of our teenagers because our teenagers are, are awesome. Eh? Yeah, give our teenagers a hand. Yeah. Or I'm at the end of my rope with this relationship. I just can't seem to get it right. Doesn't matter what I do. I'm over it, all right? So being at the end of your rope goes along with feelings of being tired and worn out by the pace of life, right? Running around after kids, busy work, all sorts of stuff like that. It goes along with kids being sick or not sleeping or generally making life difficult for you. And I've got vivid memories that, uh, of when our little ones were, were, were just tiny and not sleeping through the night. And I tell you, after being woken up two or three times through the night, uh, every, every night of the week for weeks on end, I tell you, you get to the end of your rope, you know? <laughs> You're at the end of it. And maybe, maybe when your business or your studies are going badly, or when the teenagers in your life are, are making bad choices, or if you're a teenager, your parents or teachers on your back continually, yeah, you get to the end of it. When we feel blocked or frustrated or at our limit, when family members are manipulating, I won't ask you how many that applies to, but I'm sure I'm not alone in there. All right. When you've got relationships at work or at home that are strained, 
or completely turned to custard. You're at the end of your rope. Or maybe you're single and you've had enough of being alone and waiting for Mr. or Mrs. Wright to come along. Maybe you've been facing a, a difficulty like that recently. And you'd say, if you were really honest, you'd say, that's me. I'm at the end of my rope. Okay? Well, it's good news for you today because I'm preaching about finding hope at the end of your rope. They're right. So I want to show you how you can find hope while you're at the end of your rope. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're just peachy, a box of fluffy ducks. Well, you want to be careful because the person next to you is likely to slap you. Okay. (laughs) No, actually, they're not going to slap you. But, okay, I know how life works. And if you're not at the end of your rope at the moment, there's a fair chance that in the near future, you will be. So you want to take some notes and figure out how to find hope in that time. Amen. All right. So what does the Bible have to say about finding hope at the end of our rope? Finding hope when we are at our limit. And I want to preach to you out of the book of Hebrews. Now, Hebrews was written to the Jewish Christians. And uh, they had accepted that Jesus was the Messiah. And they had expected that Jesus Christ was going to return anytime soon. In fact, yesterday. And he hadn't. And they were disappointed, quite frankly. Not only that, they had suffered harsh persecution, beatings, humiliation. And if you read through through the book of Hebrews, you'll find find that. that They'd suffered a lot. They'd suffered persecution, loss of property, and even been imprisoned for their faith. And they were thinking of tossing it all in. In fact, in a nutshell, they were at the end of their rope. So the book of Hebrews has some great help for us when we're at our limit, when we're at the end of our rope, it's got some great things to say that will help us to find hope. So if you turn with me in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 to 16. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, starting there. Let me know when you got there. Do you have your Bibles with you this morning? Yeah, can you read your Bibles? Yeah, good. Let me know when you're there. Are you there? All right. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 4, Verse 14 to 16, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. To find hope at the end of your rope, the first thing you need to know is you need to be confident. We need to be confident in the power of Almighty God to help us. Now, when I need help, the first thing I want to know is that has someone got the ability to help me? Because if they haven't got the goods, don't waste my time. If they can't help me, Don't waste my limited resources and energy on worthless nothing, okay? I don't need it. And the scripture says here, he says, let us therefore come boldly. It means fearlessly and confidently. It means our approach to God can be bold, holding nothing back without reserve. It means cheerful courage. It means free and Fearless confidence. Now, how is it that we can come to God 
with that degree of confidence? How is it that we can come to God with that degree of boldness? You see, the answer to that question is in the first two chapters. In fact, the first four chapters of Hebrews, where in particular the first two chapters talks about the enormous bigness of Jesus Christ, the enormous power of who he is. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, it says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now that is huge. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's enormous. How many of you have heard that the world is a small place? Can I have the slide up on on the back? Thanks, the PowerPoint guys. See, I was listening to a guy called uh, Lou Giglio uh, recently who really put this into perspective by showing earth in relation to the other planets and, and stars. And there you see the earth up there. Isn't that beautiful? Amazing, eh? Now, you've heard that the earth, the world is a small place. But how small really is it? Let's put it alongside the other planets in our solar system. If we can have a look at the, uh, uh, the next slide, please. So there you see the earth in relation to the other planets and Pluto, if you're uh, concerned that Pluto isn't a planet, Pluto isn't a planet, but the other planets, you can see Earth in relation to uh, Uranus, Neptune, Saturn, and uh, Jupiter. It is small. It's just a little golf ball type thing. But let's take it up another notch. What is it like in comparison to the sun? So let's have a look at the next slide. Oh, my word, there you go. Now, you can see this on the internet. You can look it up. But there's our earth, which is just like a little speck there in comparison to the sun. And even Jupiter, which was huge, is is small. In fact, 1.3 million earths can fit inside the volume of the sun. The sun is huge. But it doesn't stop there. It gets even bigger. Let's take it up another whole level and look at the sun, our sun, in relation to to the other stars in our night sky. And here we see it here. This is our sun here up against Arcturus. Now, Arcturus is one of the brightest stars. It's uh, the third brightest star in our night sky. And it was used by the early Polynesian travelers, navigators, as they navigated their way around the islands. Now, that is enormous. Our sun is just a little golf ball-sized thing here. Jupiter is one little speck, just a pixel, one little pinprick of light. Okay, but then it gets even bigger. We take it up another notch altogether. And you go into slide, uh, let's have a look at the next slide. Okay, now this compares our sun in relation to Antares. Antares is the 16th brightest star uh, in our night sky, 700 times the diameter of our own sun. And you can see there that our sun, you can't even see it, it's one little pinprick there, just a a, a tiny, tiny little pixel. Now, what's the point of this? Why would I show you this? The point of this is that Jesus Christ, the God that we serve, is a God who upholds the universe. Look in Psalm 33 and verse 6 to 9. I'll read to you out of the New New Living Translation, as it puts it very powerfully. It says, the Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and all the stars were born. 
He assigned the sea its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. What's the point of this? The Jesus Christ that we serve upholds the universe by the word of his power. What's the point of this? The point of this is when you come to the end of your rope, when you've got to the end of your energy, your strength, your reserves, I know someone who's got some to spare. His name is Jesus Christ. Someone get happy about that and praise the Lord. I tell you, that makes me excited because when I'm at the end of it myself, I know that Jesus Christ has got what I need and he's got plenty of it. What's the point of this? We have access to his throne. What's the point of this? When we think of how awesome, how huge, how enormous Jesus is that he breathed out, literally breathed out the stars. We can also be confident that what he said in the Bible, we can count on in Luke chapter 12 and verse 6 to 7. If you've got your Bible, turn to it. It's great here. It's Luke chapter 12, verse 6 to 7. Are not Five sparrows, this is Jesus speaking, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than the sparrows. Now, when I look at those slides and, and see just the bigness, the hugeness of the universe, and the stars that Jesus breathed out. It kind of puts my life and my problems in perspective. It kind of makes them seem, actually, it's not such a big deal at all. When we look at the enormous nature of who God is and what He's done, we can be fearlessly confident, absolutely resolved in our heart, that he has got what we need, and he's got plenty of it. When we've got to the end of the rope, God knows the difficulty that we have. He knows whatever resource we lack, and he's got it there for us. Now, many people are more impressed with the size of their problems than the greatness of God. When we lose the impact, when we're no longer impressed with the bigness of God, I tell you, we've lost perspective on our life. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you stepped out on one of these cold, clear Hawke's Bay nights, stepped out and looked up at the sky and said, my word, God, you created all of this. You're the God who created all of this. And there's nothing, nothing too difficult for you. You want to try it sometime. I tried it this, just this week. I stepped out. I tell you, you want to put a jacket on because it's freezing out there. <laughs> you get frostbite. 
Yeah, but I looked out and I thought, I was amazed. You see the Milky Way and the stars. You think, my word, our God is an awesome God. Tell the person next to you, be confident in the power of God. Come on, say it with, say it with some conviction. Be confident in the power of God. <laughs> All right, so we're going to take on the next. When, when you're at the end of your rope, when you're at your limit, what else do we need to do? We need to take hold of God's mercy. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. When we come to the end of our rope, we're told that we can come boldly and confidently to the throne of God's grace for what? To get mercy. What's mercy? Now, this is cool. I checked this out, what mercy actually means. Mercy is kindness and goodness towards the miserable and afflicted. Uh, how good is that? Ever, anyone ever felt miserable and afflicted? Uh, as some of us. I know I've felt, felt that way plenty of times myself. Miserable and afflicted. But it doesn't just end there. You see, if it just ended there, it would be sympathy. And as good as sympathy is, I want more than sympathy. I want help. Yeah? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so it's more than that. It goes beyond that. Mercy is joined with a desire to help. It's more than sympathy. See, sympathy expresses, you know, I know you're going through a tough time and, and I'm really sad about that. That's good. But mercy says, I know you're going through a tough time and I'm sad about that, but I want to help you. And that is the nature of God. That's why he says we can come boldly before his throne of grace and get hold of his mercy, his loving kindness towards the miserable and afflicted and get his help with it. Yeah? That's great. You see, mercy is part of the very character and nature of God. It's one of the key revelations in the Old Testament. One of the most important revelations was Moses cried out and he said, God, show me your glory. I want to know who you are. I want to see who you are. Show me your glory. And God said, all right, I'll show you. He said, all oh, my goodness is going to pass before your eyes. All oh, my goodness. And he answered Moses' prayer in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6. And it says, The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, patient and abounding in goodness and truth. The first thing that God revealed himself to Moses, his friend, was that he was a God full of mercy. And he says to you and I, Come before my throne of grace and get mercy. Get mercy. You see, some of us wonder, though, does God really care? When it comes down to it, we can say, yeah, I get that God is powerful beyond belief. But does he really care about me? Does he really know my situation? Does he really want to actually help me? And Jesus revealed the willingness of God to help us. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 40, it talks about the account of a leper coming to Jesus and he said, Lord, if you are willing, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And so he said, Jesus was moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing to be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately 
the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. See, many of us are like that leper. We believe that Jesus is powerful, but we don't know whether he is willing to break through in our situation. And Jesus says to the leper, and he says to you and I, I am willing. Is that good news? Oh, that's good news. You see, Jesus answered that question clearly to the leper, and he answers it to you and I. The truth is that the character of God is to show kindness and help when we need it. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Now there's a strength in the language here. It means that it is active, that it is not passive. We actively take hold of the mercy of God and make it our own. It is not passive where we say, well, God, if you really care, you can just you can move in my life. God, if, if you're out there, then uh, uh, God, you'll, you'll just do it. No, it's not that. That's passive. This is active. It means literally to get a grip on, to get a hold on God's mercy. It requires our active participation. So how do we do that? How do we get a grip on God's mercy? The first thing you want to do, if you want to get a hold of something, you've got to let go what's already in your hand. If you've got a lie in your heart that says, I don't really think God cares about me. I don't think God's going to break through in my life. If that lies in your heart, you cannot get a hold of the mercy of God. The first thing you want to do is you let go of that lie and embrace the truth. Let go of the lie that says that God doesn't care. We actively take hold of God's mercy by reading and thinking about the testimony of the mercy of God in Scripture. The passage that I just spoke to you on in, uh, in Mark chapter 1 about the leper. Put yourself into that. What would it be like if you were that leper with bits of your body literally rotting off, being cast out from everyone, certain death, and you came to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you're willing, you can heal me. What would it be like if you were that person? What would it be like if Jesus reached out and touched you and you were completely healed and made whole? How good would that be? What would it feel like? Put yourself in that. Get to know the character and mercy of God. So we actively take hold of the mercy of God by listening to the testimony of others and how God has reached them, reached out to them in His kindness. That's why it's so important to be part of the equipping track or, this, or a small group. It's not because we want to give you things to do and fill up your diary. Some of you were suspicious about that, weren't you? <laughs> it's because we need it. We need to hear what God has been doing in other people's lives. And instead of getting jealous and saying, you say, God, if you did it for them, you can do it for me. We actively take hold of God's mercy by remembering his kindness to us in the past. If you're alive this morning, if there's, how many people are alive here this morning? Yay, very quiet, but you're alive, I'm sure. All right. So if you're alive this morning, if there's air in your lungs, I tell you, God has been kind to you. Yeah? 
I think about the times that I have had narrow escapes with death. I remembered back this morning to a time when I had a car accident. We were T-boned. The car that hit us came in my door. And the ambulance guy and the fireman who came, they both looked at the wreck, they shook their heads, and they said, because we got out, we were fine. I had some nicks of uh, glass in my, in, my, uh, in my face, but no major damage. And the fireman said, he said, you are a lucky man. People in these sorts of wrecks come out as paraplegics or dead, and you're alive. You want to be glad about that. I was glad about that as it happens. <laughs> but think about the fact that you're alive today. God has spared you from all sorts of disasters. That means he has been kind to you. And if he's been kind to you in the past and kept you alive in the past, he will do it again. Someone praise God. We take a hold of God's mercy by expecting it. Some people have such a negative expectation of life. They're like magnets for trouble. They're like Chicken Little. He gets a little acorn, lands on his head, and he runs around and he says that the sky is falling. Some people are just like that, Chicken Littles. They take a wee knock and then the whole world's turned to custard. What would it be like if in this, instead when your alarm clock goes off in the morning, instead of saying, good God, it's morning, you say, good morning, God. How about that? How about that? Wouldn't that change your perspective? If you went around saying something, something good is going to happen to me today, when you turn to the person next to you and tell them something good is going to happen to me today. Yeah. <laughs> Something good is going to happen to me today. To find hope at the end of our rope, third point, we need to receive God's grace to help in our time of need. Receive God's grace to help in our time of need. In Hebrews 4 and 16, it says, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. What is grace? God offers us something called grace. What is it? And how is it going to help me when I'm at the end of my rope? Now, if you've been in church for long enough, you'll be able to rattle this off without even thinking about it. Grace is God's unmerited favor. And that's true. Grace is God's unmerited favor, but that is part of the truth. It is so much more than that. You'll want to, uh, to write this down because this is important. Grace is God's ability working in our lives Enabling us to do what we cannot do by our own strength. Grace is God's ability working in our lives. Enabling us to do what we cannot do by our own strength. When you're at the end of your rope, that's the kind of resource that you need. Grace. We're saved by grace. The Bible says we can't earn our salvation. You can't be good enough to be saved. We're saved by grace. Yes, his favor, unmerited, undeserved. But more than that, his power that saves us. We receive eternal life 
by His grace. But also the power to live a Christian life comes by grace. Not only are we saved by grace, we receive His power to do the right thing, to live a life that would bring glory to God by His grace. We can't live the Christian life by trying hard. How many of you know that? You can't try to be a Christian. You receive His grace and you are. He enables you. You see, Paul himself said that. The apostle, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, it says, But by grace I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not worthless or in vain, but I labored more productively than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. You see, Paul was saying that as apostle, preaching, teaching, healing the sick, evangelizing the known world, he couldn't do it without the grace of God. Paul was saying, I am what I am, an apostle of God, because of the grace of God, his ability, God's ability working through me to enable me to do what I can't do myself before I was a murderer. Now I'm an apostle. How good is that? Paul saying that. One of the most powerful, powerful men of God in our history. And that's the same for us. We can only live a Christian life by depending upon God's ability to work through us the things that we can't do ourselves. I was just reminded of uh, the fact that you know, I grew up in a family of hotheads. Bad, wicked, nasty temper. And uh, some of you are already saying, oh, Doug, I can't believe that. You, you're such a, uh, a, a patient guy. All right? I know. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but the fact is, is that without Jesus Christ, I'm not a nice person. I'm not a nice person at all. The same anger that burned in my father's heart and in each of my brother's heart burned in me and I could not control it. I didn't have the ability to master it. It mastered me. But when I received the grace of God, the tables turned and I became the master of that through Jesus Christ, through his power in me. That's good news. And whatever is going on in your life, Whatever is going on in your life, Jesus Christ, His grace working through you gives you the power to reign over that thing, gives you the power and the ability to gain mastery over that. That's good news. Someone want to clap and praise God, eh? <laughs> you see, when we've come to the end of ourselves, the end of our rope, when we come to God confident in His power, when we take a hold of his mercy and make it ours, when we're confident that he is both able and willing to help us, the scripture says that we will find grace there. We will find grace there. And that, my friends, is good news. You see, whatever that is, whether that's simply the energy and the strength to carry on in the busyness of your life, or whether it's to find solutions to problems that no one else can find solutions for, whether it's receiving the strength to break free, free from an area of bondage, fear or anger or rejection or depression or some sort of addiction. Just earlier on, uh, just a short time ago, we were looking at, at the baptism videos. 
as people were coming up out of the water, and I looked at the faces of the people who were getting baptized. And one particularly just struck, all of them struck me. They were beautiful. I wish I could show you. But one in particular just struck me right the heart. This person who'd come into the church beaten up, broken down, and oppressed, full of fear. I saw that person coming out of the water with their face radiant, with beautiful peace on their face. And I thought, God, that's why we do this for. That's why we're here, to get, connect people with your grace, to get free from the things that they can't get free from themselves, to receive your goodness and your power to break through. That grace is available whether it's to forgive someone who doesn't deserve to be forgiven. That grace is available to take the first step and put in a relationship right by saying, sorry, I was wrong. How many of you know that it takes grace to do that? That's not within our human nature. Grace to share the love of God with someone who's a long way from Him. That grace is available to us. That's good news. That gives me hope. The last thing you want to need, we all need to know, when we're at the end of our rope, when we're at the end, the, limited, the limitation of our own resources and reserves, the fourth thing, we need to know that tough times never last, but tough people do. Tough times never last, but tough people do. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession Toughness in Christian life has nothing to do of whether you're young or old. It has nothing to do with whether you're a male or female. It has everything to do with what's in the inside of you. I've seen young, strong men outwardly, when it came to a trouble, just crumple and let go. I've seen old men and old women face hardships that I hardly dare speak about, and they hold fast their faith. I've seen young children reach out to God in spite of their circumstances and hold on. And when I look out this morning, I look out and I see people who have gone through all sorts of tough times and are still here. They're still holding on to their faith. They're still strong. It's these sort of people who when they get to the end of their rope, it's not the end of them. They access something supernatural of the presence and power of God that is able to take them well beyond where they could go by themselves. That's good news for us, people. So everyone, just close your eyes right now. We're going to pray. Let's bow your head. Close your eyes. 
Let go of everything else, the cares, the distractions. And just get a picture on the inside of the bigness of God who breathed out stars. And then he comes to live in you and I. You say, Jesus, we're confident in your power to help us. This morning, Lord, we can turn our eyes to you and become impressed by your greatness. And this morning, Lord, we take a hold of your mercy, your kindness towards us, and your willingness to help us. And Lord God, right now we receive into ourselves your grace to help us. And we make a confession this morning, Lord. That tough times never last, but tough people do. And God, I'm holding fast to my faith in you. This morning, just while we're heads about, Now, eyes are closed. I want to ask you this morning, do you know Jesus Christ? Have you received him into your heart and your life? You might have come along to church many times, but you've never actually invited him into your life. I tell you that if you get to the end of your rope, and you will, but if you get to the end of your rope without Jesus, there isn't any hope for you. There's no hope at all. But if you will allow him into your heart and your life, something powerful happens. Your life will never be the same again. If that's you this morning, and you say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want that kind of hope that you're talking about. I want you to lift your hand right now, right where you are. Just lift your hand and say, Pastor, I want to receive Jesus Christ today. I want to receive Jesus Christ today. If that's you this morning, lift your hand just quickly. Is that you this morning? Anyone here says, I want that kind of hope. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you. We love you. You're awesome. Today we thank you that you give us hope, Lord. You bless us. Your favor rests upon us. You reign over everything. You reign in our lives this morning. Are you ready to worship God this morning? Have I encouraged some of you this morning? Come on, let's give the Lord a shout. Let's give him a clap. Hallelujah.